You're tuned into Forked Podcast. When we set our mind to the future we want, we can find ourselves not only in the career of our dreams, but also spreading that passion to others, building stronger communities, and raising respect for our beautiful planet. I don't wait for things to happen. If I something, I have a goal. I am constantly thinking about how I can achieve it. You have to dare to have a dream and not be shy about it. You know, not care if others think it's a ridiculous thing. No one's going to make it happen for you. Welcome to Fork Podcast. I'm Sean Chris Lewis, your host, and today we have on the phone Tiny Ivostetir. And uh, I promised her I'd try and get that last name right. Tiny, did I get it? I was almost impressed. It was pretty good. Almost impressed. Well, (laughs) Tiny is a polar expedition guide. Among many other things in her field, she explores different elements within the outdoor adventure exercise from mountain biking and, and other outdoor fitness endeavors. She's born and raised in Iceland, but now lives in Canada. And when I was preparing myself for this talk, I really dug into the culture a bit of Iceland and it really drew me in. I, I feel that there's a lot that they that comes out of the culture that um, if we share it with you guys, I think it'll bring a lot of value. In fact, Bloomberg put Iceland in the top three of the happiest, healthiest people on the planet. I was really quite taken back to, to see that Iceland was right up there. But it doesn't really end there. Iceland is this country that really promotes equality, uh, human rights, and self-efficiency. And I, I have a feeling that that's all connected in some way. And I, I really want to get into that. So, Daini, tell me, how does one become a polar expedition guide? For me, like, I am the kind of polar expedition guide or an expedition guide, which works in the polar expedition cruise industry. And we're also known as naturalist guides. You could be working alone or in a team of 20 other guides. And your job is A, of course, safely lead people around in these remote regions. But B, to make the whole experience more uh, impactful by interpreting what they're seeing and experiencing. And essentially, our goal is to facilitate a a deep connection between our, our guests and the pristine regions that we're exploring. So if we do our jobs right, They return home with deeper love, understanding, and motivation for keeping our beautiful planet uh, as it is. If you never witnessed the beauty or experienced the magic, you, you you probably don't give it a second thought. But once you've been there, it's really hard not to be an advocate of the planet, I'd say. Now, you said uh, you're talking about outdoor sports. You're actually quite athletic yourself. In fact, that's how we met. I tried to keep up with you in a CrossFit section and I totally chewed up my knee and, uh, and you know, it was quite impressive. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm quite taken back by your level of fitness. Um, do you think coming from, you know, a, a culture where they promote um, health awareness and fitness, is this something that, that you've just always grown up with? Yeah, that's interesting. I think my culture probably plays a, a big role in that. Like, for me, health is being mentally and physically fit to do the jobs that I need to do, but also the activities that I want to do. Like coming from a place like Iceland. So here's to put this into context. We are a remote little island in the middle of the North Atlantic with very harsh nature and it's a long way to the next continent. 
most things are imported and we're not able to grow many things. Winters are dark, weather's, and you know, mm-hmm. historically, people, farmers, fishermen had to work extremely hard all year round to provide enough food to survive. And in order to survive, you had to be physically fit or, or you needed to have a lot of children oh. uh, to help you out. And people were seriously tough to survive in Iceland 100 years ago. And even when my parents were young, kids, even kids would be working. It'd be sent to the countryside as, you know, as early as they were able to hold some sort of tool. And even today, like kids age of 14 have the option to work for the community to clean up and cut grass and sort of do stuff around the city, which cleans it up. And there's very much a culture to work and to be independent. And yes, I think our uh, athletes are probably benefiting from this today, as we've seen in the successes of the world's strongest men, the CrossFit women, and, you know, all that stuff. Like Here, I guess, and we have a tendency to think that when we hear a, a Bloomberg report saying, you know, Icelandic people are among the top happiest people on the planet or the top healthiest people, I guess we get this impression that somebody's going around with a checklist and saying, do you go to the gym? You know, do you wake up in the morning feeling happy? <laughs> and I think we misunderstand the line of what the criteria that graduates people up this list. And it's not not necessarily people with gym membership cards or people who are on the pursuit of happiness. It might be more about just the natural environment that they live in that promotes a better sense of well-being and maybe not that happiness that we all think of when we think of happiness. Maybe just this underlying sense of being content and at, at peace with your, your life and the way you live. Is that something? I speak for myself, I think happiness is a sense of purpose, belonging, and pride. And I think Iceland is a small nation, and we're extremely proud to have survived like we have for the hundreds of years. And also, we only got our independence from Denmark in 1944, because we were a colony, Denmark and Norway, for, like, the Viking settlement, pretty much. Yeah. And, and... And ever since, we've been trying to sort of prove to the world that we're worthy of it. We're small nations, but we can also accomplish big things. There's a lot of space for each individual. We're surrounded by the incredibly inspiring wild and natural landscapes. And I think people tend to take on like more roles to fill in all the needs they have in society. And it's very common for people to have two or three jobs, be a part-time artist or actor or professional athletes, but we're also, we're united by the language that we speak. Nobody else in the world can understand what the heck we're talking about. (laughs) I'm just struggling Um, with the last name. uh, Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) That does fall in suit with a, a lot of research and studies where the smaller the communities are, the easier it is to build values and a sense of responsibility to one another. For people like us who are living in a in bigger cities, is it is it even possible to create that level of um, camaraderie, that level of cooperation in such a large population? Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting question. It's a tough one. I, I believe it's possible, but I 
I think the nature of big cities is that people get a little bit more uh, caught up in their own things. And this is something that was a huge struggle for me when I first moved to Montreal myself. It's a big city, you're surrounded by people all the time, but it's very much harder to create like relationships. It's hard to speak to uh, one culture to another exactly what needs to be done. But as as far as I see it, there's uh, there's a lot of all or, or nothing out there. Like you say, there's a lot of strong messages like you have to be a vegan or a zero waste lifestyle, otherwise you're a horrible human being. And there's a lot of uh, mm-hmm. sort of shaming and blaming that leads to negative thoughts and feelings and sort of makes us a little bit overwhelmed. But we're thinking more about the things that are going wrong and like less about the things that we are doing and what we like are able to do to adapt. What I would like really hope for everyone, which mm-hmm. would be great, if we, I mean, go ahead, without man. saying, we all we all need to take climate change very seriously, but we do need to maintain a, a positive and realistic attitude about it. Yeah, I so, like that. I like that point. I think that it's very important to be realistic about your approach to because you can sustainably do that, and you can actually get a lot of people on board with a more moderate approach. But I think that sort of stems out of panic mode, right? When people are or have become radicalized about something, the suggestions that they have to make change are usually not accessible to uh, to most people. And then the conversation and the actions actually shut off. Yeah, totally. Yes, You're yes. not alone. I mean, of course, governments, organizations, you know, they need to take responsibility. But like I said before, like it all starts with us making the right choices so that they have even more of an incentive to act record accordingly you didn't always work in the environmental field right you used to have more of a nine to five job when you first came to canada correct when i first moved to montreal i did have a regular nine to five job which was working for a big tour operator in iceland called iceland travel and i was doing sales and marketing and sort of planning group trips to iceland and promoting iceland in general but for the most part sort of taking care of yeah taking care of the business side of things rather than being the person in the field that's actually delivering these experiences i guess i i look at my life today and you know i, I have an incredible life um, i'm a polar expedition guide i'm a freelancer i get paid to do things that i could like never imagine i'd be doing but all that stuff has not come automatically. Yes, I'm lucky to have this life, but it's definitely been a series of many choices that I've made. In fact, I've always been very much sort of by the book kind of person. I grew up, I did my bachelor degree, my master's degree. I was thinking about, you know, the next career choice, uh, how much money I was going to be able to earn and all that stuff. But I guess it was a turning point to when I started working in adventure tourism and I met all these incredible people that were passionate about the outdoors and over overnight, my focus all just became like, I want to spend all my free time playing outdoors in whatever form that was. At this time, I was a 
like a sales clerk at this adventure company. And I remember looking to all the guides that were out in the field with people and just thinking, wow, these are just the coolest people in the world. <laughs> and I looked so much up to them. I think I never, I never thought I would be one of them. I never thought that I would have the skills or just this massive um, feeling of not being good enough or, you know, being too old to do that sort of stuff. But, you know, some things uh, are worth hanging on to as a dream. Weirdly enough, uh, just a few weeks in, my job, uh, my boss approaches me and says, hey, so we have this uh, cruise ship that's going to sail around Iceland and we need someone to go on board and uh, be the go-to person, take care of logistics and stuff. And since you have such an adventurous background, we thought you'd be perfect for it. And that was kind of a turning point as well, like, whoa. A super uninteresting job turned into a very interesting job in like a matter of seconds. And that's kind of how I got acquainted to this whole expedition cruise industry to begin with. So I I sail around, I'm immediately immersed in the culture and just amazing people and everything. And I think like at that point was the first time I realized, wow, this is a job. People sail in the polar regions <laughs> and they get paid to do that. Like it was just like this mind blowing discovery. And I, I, I just got so obsessed with it that I never let go of it, even though I kept my other job for a while. That's incredible. You did a lot of things that enabled you to, to meet these challenges, right? You've, you've kept yourself current. You just said you were in university and you did your um, bachelor's and your master's. You were obviously still exercising and taking good care of yourself because obviously you can't do much adventure tourism with people if you're, you yourself are not in good condition, correct? Mm, oh yeah absolutely i would say i was maintaining all the normal parts of life doing a job exercising doing my sports and hobbies but on the side i was always obsessing with like how can i become a polar expedition guide how can i that's not a scientist or someone that studied marine biology or environmental science how can i be someone that belongs in a place like that oh. it turns out there's a lot of steps you can do to yeah. uh, make that happen <laughs> Power of intention. Yeah. Are, are you a big believer in that? Isn't in, intentional living something that you really adhere to? Yeah, I think so. I would say I don't wait for things to happen. If I have something, I have a goal. I am constantly thinking about how I can achieve it. I reach out to people. I'm open to opportunities. I try to connect with people. You have to be kind of like, you have to dare to have a dream and not be shy about it you know not care if others think it's a ridiculous thing because no one's going to make it happen for you you just have to dig in and don't be shy to uh swim in the deep end of things <laughs> right i mean what's the what's there to lose by you like you just said you, you got to dare to have a dream and i know today we can all say that can sound cliche and this and that but that mm. is not so man like i mean everybody who's doing what they love has driven their behavior in a way to arrive there somehow. I know there is the side of random things that can happen in life that are sometimes beyond our control. But the one thing that is within our control is to dream and act and go out and at least try and channel our behavior towards something that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah, 
exactly. That's it. That's exactly what it is. And I mean, where I am today, like, I, I think we can confidently say that five years ago, it was, I would not have even dreamt of like the kind of lifestyle that I'm able to have today. It takes a wide range of skills and to be flexible, willing to sacrifice some things to get there. If I if I take like the, the regular expedition guide in my industry, like there's two ways to get there. Each team member brings a specific skill set and, and many they have that background in marine biology, ornithology, or they've they're trained scientists or which is the more sort of traditional way to get into the industry. Then there are people like me that kind of got into the industry through passion for outdoor adventures, people that are not scientists by degree or training, but, you know, you've just accumulated valuable life experiences as outdoor professionals or just enthusiasts, bring different skills to the table, but, you know, it all it all adds up and you can teach yourself a lot of things along the way. And I, I'd say that to come in from this untraditional background to things, uh, like going from being a business student to an expedition guide, it was especially hard at first because I suffered from an extreme uh, imposter syndrome and <laughs> I was just waiting for them to bust me and I'm going to stop you there because that is so important what you just said. So imposter syndrome, we know that's when people think they're going to get busted. I'm going to look like a fraud. I'm not qualified for this job. Man, can you go into that a little bit, please? Oh, oh yeah, of course. Like I said, um, it, yeah, I suffered from an extreme imposter syndrome and that I was just waiting for people and my coworkers to bust me and throw me overboard at any second. Everyone else that I worked with was so amazing, so knowledgeable, bright and impressive. And I definitely still fight with this imposter syndrome. And it's something that you just realize that most people struggle with this to some degree. Once I had spent like a little bit of time in the industry and I sort of was brave enough to let my guard down a little bit and just talk about how I felt. I just realized that the people that I looked up to the most, they had had the same struggles. And that was kind of an eye-opening thing as well. It's like, wow, you know what? We've all worked hard. We've all gotten here on different for different reasons, but we certainly belong here. You just have to believe in yourself and know that this imposter syndrome is, is just something that's <laughs> it's, it's there, but you have to just manage it. Yeah, and it seems quite normal, right? As anything we start that we're new in, we kind of are an imposter, right? We're coming into this new position. We don't have experience. We have previous experience that obviously we can bring to the job that gets us the job, even the educational background, but we never actually did this thing. So while we're in it, we can feel very much like we're imposters. And we've got to release that and not have, we got to have high enough expectation on ourselves that we can get the job done or do our best, but not so high that we put these, we put this, this weight on ourselves that actually causes our breakdown, right? Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's super important. And I think, you know, this uh, cliche of faking it until you make it, it's, uh, it's very true for oh, a lot of things. Like, first time you get some gig, you're, like, you're uh, boosting up everything you've done. And for me, like, my first ship experience was working in Iceland, where I came from and where I could legitimately be an expert. 
and then you put in a few hours in a ship in Iceland. Or, okay, a lot of hours actually. <laughs> um, and then you uh, then you get offered to work in a in a European or Scandinavian region. And for me, I spent probably I spent a few years working jobs and itineraries that I wasn't. I knew it wasn't my end goal, but I knew it was like an important part of accumulating the experience that I needed to be convincing enough to work in a polar region. It's often been about taking jobs that you're not necessarily 100% sure about, but you just like have to embrace them and learn as much as you can from them and be positive. And for me, I was I was kind of obsessing in just one specific way of how I was going to get this job. I was going to do it through this one specific company, but it wasn't doing very well. So it wasn't until I sort of stepped back and thought to myself, are there different ways for me to reach this goal? And and it turns out there were. I got out in through like a different different route, mm-hmm. which and everything actually turned out much better than I could have ever have imagined. So you gotta have some creativity. You gotta be open to opportunities and not be too fixated on like one way of achieving things. Tell me, when you take people out in polar expeditions, what is the general client for that? Is that a, a fairly expensive endeavor for a client? Or yeah, I'd say. The, the expedition cruise industry is uh, expensive trips. Um, okay. I'd say we typically we typically get people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, older, often retired. Well, sometimes people have been saving their entire life for a trip oh. like this, and it's really wonderful to be sort of the person that facilitates it and experiences their dream. But every once in a while, I also get, I, I see more and more young professionals that are kind of, more having the attitude of doing things while they're young and healthy. That's also very cool to see. <laughs> That's No, it, it makes complete sense to me. I mean, there's many ways to go out and experience the great outdoors, and it doesn't have to be an, an organized polar expedition, right? That's that's part no, of the, you know, more of the extreme movements that we see people like climbing Everest and stuff. No, uh, this makes complete sense to me, but I also like that because I want to know that young upcoming business owners and professionals are experiencing this so they can bring that polar experience that the experience that they have from the outdoors and hopefully hold on to that and bring that into their business behavior their business practices right do you see that as as something you're doing when you're with your when you're with people yeah that that's it and when you're on these trips like you you actually never know who's with you on that trip and you just have to treat everyone the same way and give them the best experience possible like and different things resonate with people some people are more into sciencey facts and lectures which we also give but mm-hmm. for my approach is normally more connecting people with where they are at the time so let's say we're doing a hike on the tundra in the arctic or we're somewhere like in a remote fjord in the Antarctic and I turn off the engine or I just like where I am I make people be totally silent I get them into a bit of a meditative state where they can listen to the sounds of around them and sort of put their cameras down and put like you know all the normal things that we worry about aside and just 
be where they are. And those moments are often the most powerful moments in, in hindsight. Oh, man, but, that that I was just I was with you on that boat. <laughs> <laughs> I almost forgot I was on a fork podcast here. I was like glazed <laughs> over and I was picturing the silence. But I also just noted that you're that's brilliant. Put down your 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 camera because every morning I typically take a picture of the sunrise. And there's some mornings I take a picture. I go in the house. I'm like, you didn't even look at the sunrise. I took a picture, yeah, but-, but I didn't look at it. So I go back out and I'm like, okay, here I am. I'm looking at the sunrise. <laughs> but that's true. Like we're all programmed to document and like make the most out of wherever we are. But it's it's kind of funny that when we're out in wilderness, you kind of have to actively train people to put all those things aside and take advantage of not having any sounds of traffic or like there's so much noise everywhere we are it's a powerful thing to experience to not have it yeah i have one last question for you and it's a fairly difficult question because it's not a black and white question i understand (laughs) there's a lot of gray in this but do you find the internet is helping with awareness or is it just like the fitness industry with all the diet books and it's confusing the hell out of people so they're not getting the right story is the internet instagram is it all serving its best purpose if you don't think it is what do you think we could do to help it serve better i think there's a lot of like we mentioned before i think there's a lot of extreme campaigns that are maybe a little bit too negative but i know i think Social media is an important way to share things. You know, an Instagram post of something might inspire you to go and go to a place and experience something. So I think I think we could also all these positive uh, posts about traveling, mindfulness. I think they help in a sense. Yeah. But they can also there can also be more humor out there. I often find these campaigns are a bit too serious, but I think mm. we could inject more humor and inspire people to also be optimistic and have fun while they're being uh, responsible, which is kind of what I live by. <laughs> I'm with you on that. I'm super optimistic. I, I'm not pessimistic about all this at all, cl- uh, climate change. I'm out like yourself, working out and training in the outdoors. And I think people change through positivity, not through negativity, actually. I think the negative just recruits more negative. And you know, I don't think we have to go to this dark place to get people to listen. Absolutely. I think, um, I think it's important to have space for that stuff, for sure. Well, Tiny, I want to thank you so much for being on Fork Podcast. And I want to thank you for all the amazing work that you do, bringing people out into the environment, teaching people to have a different mindset. Listen, people can get all your information in the show notes, so your Instagram contact. And as I understand, you have a website coming out soon. Is that right? Yeah, working on it. Working on working it. Working on it. Hopefully this will get the process moving along a little bit more. So, Tiny, thank you once again. And I want to wish you an awesome day thank you and uh talk finish like we say in iceland all right that'll be in the show notes too (laughs) (laughs) have an awesome day everybody